Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate your prayer this morning. Well, if you have a Bible with you today, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, the New Testament book of the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 11 and verses 38 through 44. The Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. If you are visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles in the chairs, underneath the chairs in front of you, and you are welcome to use one of those Bibles. If you are visiting with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, that Bible is yours. You get to keep it as a gift from us. We would love for you to have it. Well, this morning, we are going to look, even as Jim referenced in his prayer, at a great miracle. We are in John chapter 11, and as I have been sharing with you, of the 57 verses in John chapter 11, 44 of those verses refer to Jesus and Lazarus. And so I have taken that long section and broken it into four sections or four sermons, and today we are in part four. We are going to look at the great miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, if you haven't been with us for the first three parts, don't worry this morning. It's okay. I think you'll easily be able to pick up as we go along on what happened previous to this. Well, let me read for you John 11, verses 38 through 44. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well, our first point this morning is the glory of God. Before we consider the great miracle that Jesus performs, we need to be reminded about the people who witness it. We need to be reminded about the people who are there when Jesus performs this great miracle. We have been looking at this over the last three Sundays Jesus' disciples are there. We saw that in part one. His disciples are with him when word is sent to Jesus that Lazarus, the one whom you love, is ill. And so Jesus tells them that he's going to Judea, and they say, Master, don't go to Bethany and Judea because it was there that the Jewish religious leaders tried to stone you. Why would you want to go there? But Jesus goes Anyway, and they go with him. We are introduced to this man named Lazarus. 
and we find out that he has been ill. We find out he is one whom Jesus loved. And we find out that he eventually dies. And when we come to part four, he has been dead in the tomb for four days. We are also introduced to Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are actually quite well known in the New Testament. This is at least the third place in which they are found. They are found in Luke chapter 10, in Mark chapter 14, and here in John chapter 11. We find in the New Testament that Jesus occasionally, perhaps often, went to the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And at this time, both Martha and Mary are with Jesus as he is talking. Also, Part of this crowd are the Jews who had come to console Martha and Mary upon the death of their brother. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, a Jewish funeral at this time, in a sense, the mourning and grieving could last a week. They would be at your home for about a week, weeping with you, trying to console you and comfort you and help you through the difficult time that you are going through. When Martha sends word to Mary that Jesus wants to see her, she quickly gets up and goes to be with him, and all of those who were weeping with her wonder why she leaves so quickly, so they get up and follow her. So as we come to today's passage, Jesus is still outside of Bethany. He hasn't actually gone into the village. He hasn't gone to their home because that's not his purpose. His purpose is not to go into the village or go to the home. His purpose is to go to the tomb. That's his whole purpose. And so Jesus is still outside of the village, and the disciples are there, and Martha and Mary are there. And the Jews, a small crowd of Jews who had come to console her, are also there. And they are all making their way to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, when Jesus comes to the tomb... He explains the true purpose of the miracle he is about to perform to Martha. In verse 38, it says this, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And so they come to the tomb. They are at the tomb. And it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again. And we looked at this in length last week. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping, he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He, Jesus, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus was moved. He was moved undoubtedly because he was seeing the ravages of sin and death and grief. But in the context, he is moved by their tears. He is moved by their weeping. And as I shared with you last week, how amazing it is that God is moved when you cry. He's moved by your pain. He's moved by your suffering. And we saw that great verse, that tiny little verse, John eleven thirty five, where it says, Jesus wept. God is crying. The Son of God, God in human flesh, is weeping. He is crying. 
And it is so important for us to know that when we cry, he cries. Shares tears with us in those deepest times of sorrow and grief and mourning and pain. And then in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Deeply moved again. Let me tell you, hallelujah, what a Savior we have. He loves you more than you will ever understand, more than you will ever know. And they came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. The Apostle John wants you to know what this tomb was like. Now, you may already be familiar with this because you've heard sermons about the tomb of Jesus. And it is very, something very similar here. In the first century, Jewish people would lay their dead in tombs, in caves, on the rocks or indented into the rocks on the side of a hill or the side of a mountain. Sometimes it would be a natural cave. Sometimes they would actually carve it out. And these graves could go from being small enough just for one person to being large enough where an entire family could be in one. Sometimes they would have a cave or carve out a cave that would actually have stone shelves carved out on the sides and in the back so that a a family or extended family could all have their dead buried there. Very similar to what we have today if you go to a cemetery you will often see in an area that there are people from the same family, tombstones for people from the same family, all in that particular area of the cemetery. Now with Lazarus, we don't know if we had a small tomb or a large one, but it doesn't matter what you need to know. It is an indented cave with a stone in front of it. And what they would do over the mouth of the cave or the indentation in the side of the hill or mountain is they would carve a stone that would be like a cartwheel and that cartwheel would be in an indentation that they would also carve right in front of the grave right in front of the tomb it would be like a a rut and they would place the stone in it so the stone could be in front of it and moved away placed in front of it and moved away Also, and this will prove important, when the Jewish people buried a person, they didn't use one um, piece of cloth like the Egyptians did. The Egyptians would wrap their dead like, and it's where we get the term from, a mummy. One piece all wrapped around the body. It was different for the Jewish people. The head would be wrapped separately, the arms separately, the body separately, and the legs separately. And again, you will see how that comes into play as we move through this particular passage of Scripture. So, they come to the tomb, and in verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Master, By this time there will be an an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now I want you to try to imagine what is happening. We've got Jesus, we've got the disciples, we've got Martha and Mary, we've got the group or the crowd of Jews that were with him. They're all going to the tomb. As far as they know, please keep this in mind, as far as they know, they're just going to the tomb to weep. 
that was very traditional, that was very much a cust cultural custom at this time to go to the tomb and weep. And that happens even today. Let's say that you have a loved one who has died recently. Maybe you and some members of your family go to where the gravesite is. And you just gather together and still, even though it, maybe it's been weeks or months, you, you weep there. And that's what they expect to happen. So they all go to the tomb. And Jesus says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. You can almost see them looking at each other and going, did he just say take away the stone? What in the world is going on? See, they didn't know Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. They have no idea what's coming. And so Martha just bursts out. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. It will smell, for he has been dead four days. Well, that brings us to verse 40. And verse 40 is the key verse in this text. It is, in essence, the most important verse in the text Verse 40, Jesus said to her, said to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Martha, didn't I tell you in our conversation that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And I want you to notice very carefully what is happening here. Jesus is saying to Martha, I don't want you to focus on the corpse. I want you to focus on me. This is for the glory of God. When did Jesus say this was for the glory of God? Well, he said it in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, it says, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he said this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I have shared with you numerous times throughout these last four weeks that Lazarus becomes ill and dies for the glory of God so that Jesus, the Son of God, may be glorified. Jesus specifically says this, or more specifically says it to Martha in verse 23 when he says, your brother will rise again. <clears throat> and again, Martha didn't fully understand Then She said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day, but probably the most important section is verses 25 and 26 which we looked at two weeks ago where Jesus says to Martha I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me Martha though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die and he said to Martha do you believe this and remember her great answer was yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world and now he says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And I want to add this morning, still to this day, when spiritually dead people become alive in Christ, when they are born again, when they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's all for the glory of God. It's all by the glory of God. Did you know that? It's not only for the glory of God, but by the glory of God. And you say, what is the glory of God? I mentioned this a few weeks back, but let me mention it again. The glory of God is seeing God in the fullness of all of his attributes in their perfectness and holiness. He is good. He is mercy. He is kind. He is love. He is holy. 
He is righteous. He is just. The glory of God is seeing God for who he really is and seeing Jesus in the, full, in the fullness of all of his attributes as being fully God. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this about us. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, Romans 6.4 is illustrated by water baptism, but it is not talking about water baptism. Romans 6.4 is talking about your spiritual baptism into Jesus at the moment you receive him as Savior and Lord. When you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you invite him to come into your life as Savior. At that moment, you are supernaturally united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. You enter into his death, burial, burial, and resurrection, and everything he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection then is applied to you. His righteousness, you become a son or daughter of God. All that it means, all that Christ did, accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection is then applied to you, and that is called your salvation. So, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too walk in newness of life by the glory of God. And so Jesus says, Martha, I don't want you to focus on the corpse. I want you to focus on me. I want you to believe. And that leads us to our second point. Lazarus rises from the dead. With many witnesses present, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. In verses 41 and 42, it says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. It says, so they took away the stone. I want you to grab onto that and hold on to it, if you would. Jesus allows the people there to participate in this miracle. Oh, it's all done by his power, but he wants their participation. And he says, now he could have, in his supernatural power, just spoke to the stone and have it, had it move, but he doesn't. He says, I want you to take away the stone. And so they do. And Jesus lifts up his eyes, and he lifts up his eyes to heaven and prays and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Now the thought, the context is, he says this loudly so they can all hear him. And he says, Father, thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. Why would he pray like this? It's because he wants everyone there to know what we learned in John chapters 5 through 10, that Jesus is one with the Father, that he and the Father are in complete harmony with one another, that Jesus is fully God. 
He does whatever the Father tells him to do because they are both part of the same triune Godhead. And he says, Father, I know you've already given me the power. We are one. I just want them to know that. I want them to know that. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Think of who's there. The disciples and Martha and Mary, he wants their faith to be strengthened by this miracle. As I've mentioned before, they're eventually going to stand at the foot of the cross and see their Savior crucified, and they need to know, they need to know he is who he claims to be. But remember, there are also other Jewish people there, and he wants them to believe. He wants them to embrace him as Messiah and Savior and Lord. So, They all hear him pray. And then verse 43. Verse 43. When he had said these things, when he had prayed, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, why did he do it with a loud voice? Because that's what he wanted to do. He did it with a loud voice because that's how God chooses to work. His voice is just powerful I couldn't help but think 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 talks about the rapture of the church and it says this for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first how's he do it with a loud command We know from John chapter 5 that one day the Son of God is going to speak and everyone in every grave is going to come forth, some to a resurrection of life and some to a resurrection of judgment. But he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now I want you to know this morning that Jesus is putting his reputation on the line. They're all standing there. I mean, this is drama. The stone has been rolled away. They're all riveted on him. And he says, Lazarus, come out. You've probably heard this before, but it's a good thing Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, because if he had just said, come out, every dead person would have risen. But he specifically says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And verse 44 says, the man who had died, not the man who was asleep, not the man who was just sick, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine being one of those men or women who took off the grave clothes? And that's why I told you earlier, or shared with you earlier about how they used to wrap the body, taking off the wrap on the arms and the body and the face. And it's Lazarus. And he's alive. He's been cured from his illness. He's still in his physical body. Still in his physical earthly body, but he is alive and he is well because Jesus has raised him from the dead. A great miracle. And they're all watching. 
They're all watching. But I want to go back to the main point. The main point of this entire passage is the glory of Jesus, not the fact that Lazarus is alive from the dead. I just really want us to focus on that. The main point of this entire passage is the glory of Jesus, not that Lazarus is alive from the dead. You may know this, but if you don't, I just want you to think through this with me. Lazarus was raised in his earthly body. Lazarus will die again, and they will again mourn for him. He may have lived to be an old man. I don't know. But Lazarus wasn't transported to heaven. He's alive in his earthly body. One day he will die. Doesn't minimize the miracle at all. But Lazarus will die later on. The point is this. Jesus has all authority over life and death. He speaks. He speaks. And Lazarus comes to life. And I want you to know, everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, every person who lives and every person who dies does so under the sovereign authority of Jesus. And he knows about every one of them. Let me say that again. All over the world, in every part of the world, every person who lives and every person who dies does so under the sovereign authority of Jesus. And as we learned two weeks ago, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus is the only one, the only one who can grant to a person everlasting, eternal life. Now stay with me this morning. Did you know when you received Christ as Savior, it was even more important than Lazarus being raised from the dead? Now, I fully believe that Lazarus had totally embraced Christ as Savior. But his physical body would die. When you come to know Christ as Savior, you are given eternal, everlasting life. And yes, your body will die but you will spiritually go on to live and be given a brand new body. You will live forever. Your salvation is the goal. The salvation of the human soul is the goal, and only Jesus, for his glory and by his glory, can grant anyone eternal, everlasting life. And did you know as Christians, we have the great privilege of watching men and women raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. We do. When someone comes to know Christ as Savior, it is a great miracle, perhaps the greatest miracle. They go from spiritual death to spiritual life, from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. They are born again. They become a new creature in Christ. And did you know we get to participate? Do you know how we do that? By sharing the gospel. By discipling them. Maybe this is the perfect passage for the end of local evangelism month. I loved what one writer said. He said, when you share the gospel with someone and you see them come to know Christ and you disciple them, it's as if you roll away the stone and take off the grave clothes. 
It's all by the power of God that they come to know Christ. But he gives you the great honor and privilege of being the one to lead them to the Savior, of sharing the gospel, and of helping them to grow in him. But here's the most important thing of all. We need to hear what Jesus told Martha. Keep your eyes on me. And I want to say to all of us this morning, no matter what happens in your life, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's be honest this morning. We all have a tendency to become obsessively focused on our problems. We become obsessively focused on our pain. We become focused on our prodigal child. We become focused on that person with whom we have a conflict. We become focused on those people that we disagree with. We become focused on politics. And I believe Jesus is saying to us, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. It's Hebrews 12, 2. Fix, fix, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus says to Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believed, that if you keep your eyes on me, you will see the glory of God? Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for the great miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Thank you that all life and death is in the hands of our Savior. He alone is the giver of everlasting life. Help us, help us to keep our eyes on him in whose name we pray, amen.